Good morning once again to each and every one. We are going to begin our lesson in the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and the first three verses. Most of us are familiar with the context here. God has now completed his creation. He's placed man and woman in the garden. They are experiencing a true paradise, we might say, on earth. But we read in chapter 1, or verse 1 rather, of chapter 3, that the serpent comes onto the scene, and he was more cunning, we're told, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he goes to the woman, and he says, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. We know, of course, what happens as you continue reading there, as Satan twists the words of God, and he gets Eve to start thinking about how lovely that fruit looks, and how surely it must taste good, how it would be desirable to make one wise, And she partakes of that and gives to her husband, and he likewise partakes. They break the commandment of God. But as you think about the scene here, it's it's kind of remarkable in a way, because there was really just one rule that God gave man in the very beginning. Just one job that they had, and that was to not eat of that one particular tree, to not touch it. Everything else was, was fair game. But they messed it up. And so the title of our lesson this morning is, You Had One Job. And sometimes maybe we have situations where we give somebody just a simple task and they mess it up somehow and we get frustrated. You just had one job and you couldn't even do that right. And sometimes we might think about humorous examples of that. There's this sign that I came across. I'm not sure what planet this is on or how they tell time there, but somebody clearly put the wrong number on the sign. We think about this fellow who had the job of painting the word stop at the stop sign, but he somehow got confused and, and messed that up. And this guy installed this drain, but doesn't seem to have done it all that well because the water is just kind of everywhere but where the drain actually is installed. You came uh, came across this image of this, supposed to be a tarantula toy, but clearly somebody put the wrong toy in the package that looks like a cockroach to me. And my personal favorite is this fish sandwich from McDonald's. And I don't know what the guy putting the cheese on the sandwich was doing or thinking, but he clearly missed the mark there somehow. And of course, those are the same ones that want us to increase the minimum wage. You just had one job, but you messed it up. I want us to think about that, obviously, in a spiritual sense this morning. And you probably can guess where we're going to begin as we've looked at the example of Adam and Eve. I want us to begin by thinking about, we just have one main purpose. We were created for one main goal when God, of the dust of the ground, breathed life into man. 
What is that one main purpose? There's various passages that we might consider to give us the answer. In Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7, there we read, as God is speaking, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, notice, for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. In this short little verse, we see that God identifies, why has he made man? Well, he says, I've made him for my glory. Well, how do we glorify God? How do we fulfill that expectation? Jesus gives us the answer to that in John chapter 15 and verse 8, where he's talking about the vine and the branches. And he says there in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so you will be to my disciples. Of course, we know that when the Bible talks about the concept of bearing fruit, we're talking about fulfilling the commandments that God has given us, doing his will, in other words. One of the more commonly quoted summaries of our purpose under the sun is found in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Solomon wrote there and said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Notice, this is man's all. We might think, well, what's our one job? Why are we here? Well, here's the answer. Your all, your one job, if you will, is to fear God and to keep his commandments. By fulfilling that expectation, we glorify God and honor him as we ought to do. In Isaiah 66, in the first couple verses here, again, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, Heaven is my throne. And earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest for all those things my hand has made? Anything that you might build for me, I made that. You didn't really do anything. I I already provided it. I spoke it into existence. My hand has allowed all those things to exist, says the Lord. But notice he says, On this one I will look, on him who is poor and of contrite spirit, the one who trembles at my word. This is the expectation God has for us. The one that he will look favorably upon, the one that he will have a relationship with, is the one who identifies and honors him appropriately as God, who respects his word, who is humble before him. But of course we know, as we see there in Genesis chapter 3, that despite God creating man for this purpose, that man went after his own desires. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29, Truly this only I have found. He says that God made man upright. Some will try and teach that we are born into sin. Well, that's not true. God made us upright. But the problem is men have sought out many schemes. They have gone after their own desires. Remember what James wrote there in James chapter 1. Starting in verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. He says, But let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own desires and enticed. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, 
brings forth death. In the next verse he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So the problem is, we were created with free will, which was necessary, because if we're going to truly serve God and glorify Him, He wants us to do it because we want to, because we love Him, because we choose. But that free will also gives us the license then to neglect God and to do what we want to do, to be enticed by our own desires and be drawn into these things that are against His will for us. And those things lead to death. They lead to a separation from God. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul writes and says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, we'd read about that back in Genesis 3, and death through sin, he says, Thus death spread to all men, not because it was inherited, but notice because all sin, all followed that same pattern of rebelling against God at some point. And if you notice in the text there, on, on the screen here, I've jumped down to verse 18. You say, well, why do you skip all those verses? Well, if you notice in the, in the text, there's, a, there's some parentheses. And Paul kind of injects some other thoughts there. But then he comes back in verse 18 to the main thought that he's running with. And so therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, he says, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Now he's going to be talking about the way out of this mess that man has created, and that is through Jesus Christ. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And so we think about what Jesus did. Jesus had one job, really. But unlike we as human beings, we've been given this one, we might say, relatively simple task when you think about it. We've all messed it up. Jesus completed his job. He completed his task. He accomplished what he set out to do in redeeming us from the mess of sin, the condemnation of sin. Notice with me in John chapter 12, verse 27, beginning there. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus said. He knew that the time was close at hand that he was going to have to suffer and die. And so naturally, my soul is troubled. But then he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Notice, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Jesus knew full well why he left heaven, why he was born why he lived that perfect sinless life, it was to ultimately be that sacrifice. It was to suffer as he did so that you and I could be redeemed. For this purpose, I have come to this hour. He says, Father, glorify your name. And a loud voice came from heaven and said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. The next verse says he spoke this, signifying by what death 
he would die. He knew that he was going to be crucified. Of course, the psalmist, even back in, I believe it's Psalm 92, had spoken concerning those very things. You know, it's really quite amazing to me as you think about Jesus' attitude that despite knowing what he was going to go through, he was determined to accomplish it because he loved us that much. The Hebrew writer alludes to the events in the Garden of Gethsemane here in Hebrews 5 and verse 7. It says, in the days of his flesh, referring to Christ, he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to, uh, to him who is able to save him from death. And it says he was heard because of his godly fear. Sometimes people get the idea that when Jesus was in the garden that he was praying for a way out. And he was trying to ask God, look, if, if you can get me out of this, you know, I'd really appreciate it. Well, that's nothing could be further from the truth. It's very important that we recognize that. So you think about this idea of the one who could save him from death. Jesus wasn't praying that he would be delivered from the cross. Notice in Mark 14 and verse 34, as it's describing the scene there and this great sorrow that Jesus was experiencing, he spoke to his disciples there and he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, notice, even to death. Jesus was in such a state of mental anguish that his body was starting to break down. Luke tells us in chapter 22 and verse 44 that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was praying for the strength to get through that anguish and complete what he came to do. We'd already read there in John, he says in his own words, am I going to go to God and say, Father, get me out of this situation? No, he says, this is why I've come. And in the garden, he was so worried that he wasn't going to make it, that he was going to actually die there in that garden, that he prayed to God with vehement cries and tears. And notice, he was heard. And Luke tells us, there and again, that 22nd chapter that an angel appeared and gave him strength. Think about all that he suffered. You try and imagine that you knew that that was coming. Say, you knew it was on your calendar. Tomorrow, yeah, I'm going to go be scourged and I'm going to be mocked and beaten and then I'm going to be led up a hill to a cross and be suspended between heaven and earth by three nails. Would you be looking forward to that? Would you be looking for a way out of that? We probably would if we're honest. Now you imagine being so worked up about knowing that that's what you were going to face that you felt like, well, I might not even make it to tomorrow. I might, I might perish today. Just I'm so distraught about this. I'm actually praying to God, God, help me through this so that I can get to that. Now, that's a prayer. You just think about what that means in regards to how much he loves you. Matthew 26, Peter, remember, 
when Jesus was finally arrested, Judas had betrayed him by kissing him there on the cheek. Peter said, I'm not going to have this. And he tried to defend him and cut off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. Jesus rebuked him. He said, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Verse 53, he says, do you not think that I can pray to my father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Well, if he was praying for deliverance from the cross, then it doesn't make sense for him to say that, does it? He could have had the 12 legions of angels if that's what he was praying for. But he wasn't praying for that. He knew that he had to come and fulfill what he'd set out to do. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled, he goes on to say, that it might happen thus. In John chapter 19, verse 28, the scene there on the cross now, and notice, verse 28 says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, now it's time, now I have done everything that I needed to do. I fulfilled all the prophecy. I've done everything exactly as it needed to be done. He says, I thirst. And they filled a vessel with sour wine. And they put it on a sponge with hyssop and put it to his mouth. And we received the sour wine. He said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. He completed the job. He did that for you and for me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, the Hebrew writer there, writing about Jesus and what he did, he says, And as much then as the children, that's you and I, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Remember back in John 12 where we read, he says, Now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world is going to be cast out. That's what he was talking about. He's going to overcome death. So that you and I, notice, verse 15, could be released from the fear of that. From that bondage that sin brings us into. When we submit to the likeness of his death and burial and resurrection, we can have the forgiveness of our sins, the hope of eternal life. Come with me over to Romans chapter 6. Read with me here, beginning in verse 3. Paul asked, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. We've put to death the man of sin. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be, notice again, slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed. If we died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves or consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writing there says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. But notice if anyone that identifies what he's talking about, these vessels are representative of you and I. So if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and notice, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. He's talking here about the fact that through Jesus, through the cleansing that is offered, through that sacrifice and our obedience to it, we can be restored to a place of value and usefulness for our master. We can now be in a place where we can do the job and do it right. Isn't that amazing and beautiful to consider? And so, are you doing your job well? That's what we want to think about as we begin to wind down for this morning. Are you doing your job well? Come with me over to Romans chapter 13. A few pages over from where we were a moment ago. Romans chapter 13, I'd like us to read beginning in verse 8. Romans 13, starting in verse 8, we'll read down through verse 14. Paul here says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another, notice this, has fulfilled the law. The law of what? What law? God's law. He says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You want to fulfill the law? You want to fear God and keep his commandments? In other words, how are you doing with loving your neighbor? He goes on in verse 11. Do this, knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep, For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife, not in envy. But he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I think this passage here does just a... Excellent job of why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be loving each other. We're supposed to be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ as if he were a suit of armor, making no provision for the flesh. You think about what James wrote there at the end of chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and their trouble. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Isn't that not what we just read about here? It's the same principles. We see it time and time again echoed throughout Scripture. Our job is to keep His commandments, to love each other. As Jesus said in Matthew 22, upon these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. They are the greatest commandments. They summarize it all. 
You know, coming back to the scene there in Gethsemane, Matthew 26, verse 36, Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane, we read, and he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And notice he gives them just one job, again, to kind of borrow from our theme. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Just stay awake and watch. That's all I want you to do. Well, he goes away and prays, and he comes back in verse 40, and he finds him sleeping. <laughs> he kind of may, maybe makes you wonder, in his mind, is he thinking, you just had one job, and here you are sleeping. But of course, we're, we're drawing application here to ourselves. He says to Peter, what, could you not watch with me just one hour? And notice he says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's such a powerful lesson for us today. Do we pray? Do we watch? 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If we're not watching, he's going to devour us. If we're not praying like we should, leaning upon God, trusting in him and his strength, the weakness of the flesh is going to get us. Notice the psalmist's attitude in Psalm 27, verse 4. He says, one thing I have desired of the Lord. What do you think that one thing looks like? Probably going to match up pretty well with what we've been noticing this morning. Well, what is the one thing man is supposed to desire above everything else? He says, I've desired this one thing. That's what I'm going to seek. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I'm going to be where God is. I'm going to recognize the greatness and beauty of God, and I'm going to continually seek his knowledge so that I can be more like him. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. How are we doing with our one job? We'll conclude this morning with one final verse in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14. Joshua here in the overall context, he's speaking to the Israelites. They have now gone into the promised land. They have conquered it. They are enjoying the realized promises of God. And he reminds them, of course, in the larger, in the immediate context here, he's kind of giving them a warning and saying, look, if you go against God's commandments, you start failing to recognize his leadership, then all this that you've been given is going to be taken away from you. But he reminds him in verse 14, kind of in the midst of that warning, he says, Behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth, and you know that in all your hearts, and all your souls, that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. Everything God promised them, he brought to pass. They've all come to pass, he says, not one word of them has failed. There's one thing you can be sure of, just as Christ fulfilled his one job, as he completed his mission, God is likewise not going to fail us. Everything he's promised, everything that he offers us, is going to be given if we do our part. We need to remember that. This morning, perhaps, you recognize that in your daily walk of life, you've neglected that truth and you have departed, you've gone your own way, you need to get back on the right Straight and narrow path, as Dave talked about this morning in his comments. 
Perhaps you're here and you've never gotten onto that path. Perhaps you've never taken the first step in realizing your purpose in starting to work at this main job that God has created you to fulfill. Well, we've read about how you can realize that, how you can take that step. We need to be baptized into Christ. And if you recognize a need to do that this morning, we stand ready to assist you in that process. Whatever your need would be, we would ask that you make it known. You can do that by coming up to the front at this time while we stand together and while we sing.